This is the Hot Take Hockey Podcast with your hosts, Lucas and John Viveros. Episode 36 of the Hot Take Hockey Podcast. Lucas, myself, John, it's been a minute. We were on a little, I don't even call it a break because a couple things happened in back-to-back weeks and obviously heavy into playoff talk. So, I mean, you guys saw my reactions. Uh, Lucas and I have been talking, but finally an epi out and we're going to be getting a lot of cool guests for the off season. Um, so yeah, Lucas, man, let's just, uh, we won't bury the lead this time. Let's just, uh, let's, let's pick it up on the leaf talk where we left it. And, uh, obviously, uh, the Leafs getting booted out of the second round, but that's not really what is, uh, being told these days. Obviously, uh, it's, uh, it seems a far away. I'll, I'll put it this way. It seems a far away from that first round win. <laughs> uh, so Lucas, man, how are you feeling? Dubas out, uh, Shani's running the show right now. Um, just a lot of stuff on Leafland. I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. Uh, Leafland's been a soap opera the last little bit here. I feel like every day there's just new news um, coming to light. And, you know, that's, I'll start there and I'll just say that that's more so, I think, uh, a reason why Brendan Shanahan was so, you know, uh, detail-oriented when he was going through the timeline of the events that happened over the season and into the last few weeks once the Leafs were eliminated. Uh, yeah, we won't bury the lead. Well, I guess we'll just jump right into that and and talk about uh, the fallout of the Leafs moving on from Kyle Dubas, looking at other options uh, uh, for general manager. And I know that, you know, right before we hopped on, Drager, who sometimes, you know, he's an insider, but sometimes it can go one way or another, but it's looking like Brad Tree Living. The Leafs are talking to him. Um, I'll just give my quick thoughts on like the whole Dubas thing. And I think that, you know, Kyle Dubas, if you were, a, you know, pro keeping this team together, and believed in the majority of this team. Um, you probably wanted Dubas to stick around because he was so close with the players. Um, and, you know, no doubt that this will impact, you know, the decisions that that players make. Obviously money talks. So no matter who's at the top of the, the food chain, I'm sure money can speak a lot louder than who's there necessarily. But as of right now, I'm feeling very uneasy in, in terms of the future of this team. Uh, this, this off season feels much different than the ones prior uh, in the sense that, you know, we don't know what this team's going to look like in October, and we certainly have no idea what this team's going to look like into the 20, I guess the 2024, 2025 season when Matthews and Nylander will need new deals if they're still around. Right. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm nervous for, for the outfall and, and, and I do, I do want change. Um, but at the same time, I'm not slamming the panic button and thinking a million things need to happen to this team. I think they were a really good team. And I think Florida, the the longer they go on this run and the more you see them win games, you, you do start to think that this was one of those teams that it was just, it's just been destiny for them this year. Really. I mean, up three Oh, at this time of this recording, they're up three overs Carolina really impressed with them so far, but yeah, I mean, that's my initial reaction off the, off the hop, John. I mean, we can go back and forth on, on some comments and some things that have come out, but uh, yeah, I, I, I was on the pro Dubas camp. So I am a little bit sad to see him go um, just because I thought he's a really smart hockey mind. And for the most part, I think he, he made some great moves. You know, if you look at any GMs, uh, history. I think you'll find trades and signings that didn't work out. Dubas is no different than that. But overall, especially the last, I'd say, year, um, I thought Kyle Dubas was very, very strong in the moves that he did and and, and the, the the way he set up the team for success this year, and it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, my initial reaction was I was pretty down bad about the Dubas stuff. But I think for me, it's it's changed a little bit just in terms of like research in terms of looking into things and and just hearing from other people. I also do feel like with Dubis 
and just kind of what's come out now. And again, a lot of stuff is speculation. A lot of stuff is rumors, but there is some validity to some, some stuff is that I feel like Lucas. So you just talked about like the last year in terms of the moves. Mm -hmm. I do feel like that last year, the moves that wasn't typical Dubis. That wasn't what we've seen in the past, whether it was like the O'Reilly move or the Jake McCabe move or or, uh, the Luke Shen move, like moves like that. Where it's like, and I, I even actually heard uh, Kiprio say it today, was like, if you go back to the Dubis type deals, it was like these deals that no one really agreed with at the time that obviously ended up, like it was like going for the undersized guys. Like obviously the Malgan Marchman one is going to go down as like one of the worst ones, obviously as yeah. like the poster boy. But like more significantly, uh, the late Brian Marchman, rest in peace, he was really close with Brendan Shanahan and, and Kiprios outlined that. And I was just thinking, okay, that's a clear example of like Shanahan definitely wouldn't have been the pusher for that move. Like trading his good buddy's son in, in a move like that. And another scenario, I mean, we've seen Dubis time and time again, go for Sue Greyhound guys, mm-hmm. especially as recent as the Matt Murray. And it's as ironic as it comes that Nick Cousins scores the winner and he's a former Sue Greyhound, I guess the least. Anyways, my point is, up until Lucas, literally February or March, to me, we always saw those Dubis type deals. And then all of a sudden, Ryan O'Reilly, Jake McCabe, Luke Shen. So I wonder if that became a problem in this season. I, I wonder if it became a problem of sense of control. And that's why all this stuff is coming out now of like, when Dubis came back, wanting that sense of control. I mean, man, I, I just look at it as, I think there's a balance. I like Dubis a lot. I like every a lot of things that he did. And I like everything he kind of stands for, I would say, in terms of morally, or at least from what I know. But I think in terms of balance, I just feel like the culture in this room starts from the top. And and in some way, it got kind of separated with Shanahan and Dubis, where they weren't in the same mindset, weren't in the same direction. And I just feel like overall, if you look at the scenario of where we're at right now, it shouldn't have occurred that way. Like it was like we're talking about one of the biggest franchise in the national hockey league and it went from winning a first round to airing dirty laundry in a press conference and to the guy getting fired within like four days of saying we're gonna bring him back as gm like all of that just shouldn't have happened like i I look across pro sports that never should happen the way it went down um so obviously there was a power struggle to some I, i i hate the speculation but as simple as there was disagreeing in terms of decision-making and, and power. And we don't know really the rest, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the, at, at the, you know, the rest of it, we're speculating, like you said, but I, I do agree with you. I, I fully believe that there was some level of um, friction we'll call it between Dubis, between Shanahan, um, or maybe it was Dubis and the board. Uh, you know, obviously there was some sort of tension there and, and that was that arose the last week and, and the way it fell out. I feel like, that just, you know, especially in a market like Toronto shows, you know, it should, it should never be that way. And it really gets overblown and gets, gets the media obviously on top of it. And I think that overall, just that is, is, is a very sensitive um, topic now, because I feel like for the last, I don't know, for the last, let's say since Shanahan took over the last nine years, we for once in our lives kind of felt like the right people had the keys to the, to the car, right? Like we felt like, this team was constantly, um, you know, being built the right way and, and communication with in the organization was good. And it just seems like that's all kind of fizzled out now. And it feels like we're back. To, there's a feeling of it being um, back to the days 
prior to Shanahan, Babcock, that sort of era, right? Yeah. And that's where I get concerned because we've seen many, many, uh, many, many moons ago what that organization looked like at the time. Um, but yeah, man, like, I mean, it's it shouldn't be overly surprising, I guess, that he's not back. I think my brain wasn't ready to accept that, but it shouldn't be overly surprising. I mean, he had no contract going after this year, right? So it could have went either way and it, it's gone this way. Um, but yeah, I mean, in regards to the autonomy, the, the question, you know, what we were just talking about and Dubas asking for more control. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see if another team offers him that that type of position, right? Like yeah. Pittsburgh and Fenway Sports Group. Yeah, I was also just going to, so what you said, yeah. 100%. But my thing is also, I do feel like, and when I talk about like the Sue Greyhound moves or all these moves, it seems like Dubas had a higher level of control. Like it seems like it kind of happened in the opposite way. Like it's like an inexperienced GM, like like a kid, you, you got the child lock on, you've got full attention and, and let, I mean, the individual blossom. I mean, that's kind of what should have happened with Dubis. Instead, it was like a reverse effect. I mean, maybe that happened at the very beginning when he got appointed the GM, but it was like, I felt like Dubis did have a lot of control from at least from what we saw and the type of deals that were being made. I mean, go back, folks, go back to watching Brendan Shanahan play hockey. A lot of the moves that have happened in past years, to me, those are not Shanahan type deals. As I already said, in the last year, I feel like things shifted. We're like, I, I feel like there was like some child locks like occurring here. Like there was some heavy interference happening. Um, and, and regardless, agree or disagree, I mean, the Leafs did win a round. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to talk about they faced a hot team, I mean, you're always going to face great teams in the playoffs. It's just, yep. so at the end of the day, we can talk about being goalie. We can talk about all this stuff. It's just, it, to me, we can talk about how the Leafs always lose to a team that makes the final and whatever. Yeah, I mean, that happens sure. Quite yeah, a bit. Of yeah. course, of course. Yep. But then, then we could say the same about. I mean, then Bruins fans can make the same excuses here. We go, oh, yeah. Bruins, we don't need to make changes because we yeah. we played against the team that made it to the Cup final. So all I'm saying is that obviously things changed, and, and I don't like the excuses, but obviously the cultural like change starts from the top. So I mean, man. I, I think seeing it as real as it is now that Dubas is not the GM, we have to have a serious discussion about the bigger players in this team not being part of this team going forward. I know people have been naive, Lucas, and I've talked about it in the past. Like I've made videos and people have ripped me where it's like, bro, this is clickbait. Like you have no idea what you're talking about. Like Matthews is not going anywhere. And it's like, maybe that is true. Maybe that's still true that he's not going to go anywhere. But I think we're at a point right now where dismissing those discussions, like, can't be happening anymore. And it's specifically in the organization. I mean, you've got to take this seriously as much as you want to criticize the the culture that they've created in terms of comfortability, in terms of lovey dovey friendships, all these stuff that they've created, essentially criticize it all you want. But now that Dubas is out of the picture, it makes Austin Matthews leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs that much more real. So criticize it. If you want to criticize it, go ahead. It doesn't change the fact that Austin Matthews was more likely to remain a Toronto Maple Leaf a week ago, in my opinion, than it is today. And again, you can disagree. I disagree. To me, you shouldn't be playing for a team because of the general manager or for a coach. You should be, Lucas, that logo right next to you, you should be playing for the logo. You should be playing for the team. You should be playing, you know what? At the bare minimum, I'll put it this way. You should be playing for the guys that you play with on the ice more than guys behind the scenes that are just making you comfortable or whatever. So at the end of the day, I mean, there were certain guys in the second round that clearly we're not playing for each other, that we're not doing certain things that you win in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you know what? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just kind of rambling on, but my point in saying that is 
this has become a real discussion. So if you don't want to trade, if you don't want to see your team trade one of these big four, okay. But I, I think if you go into next season with no extension to Austin Matthews or William Nylander, you are out of your mind. That is going to be one of the dumbest things. We saw what happened with Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary and Calgary quickly learned that you cannot take those things for granted. And the Matthew Kachuk, obviously that trade's a disaster as it currently stands, but at least they got pieces. At least they, they got, got something. something. Yep, yep. John Tavares and the Islanders, obviously. Yeah, you John, can John, I agree. I agree with you. I feel like, you know, to, to say that a player just wants to play in a particular city because of the GM who's in charge, I think is a little bit naive. And I think, you know, money talks, like I said, off the top. Having said that, you know, Dubis was very vocal with these players in terms of, you know, showing his belief in them. And, and I felt like it was, ve- they knew exactly sort of where he stood on them. Right. And so now that there's going to be a new guy coming in, could be a completely different outlook. And that's what makes the doubt and the uncomfortability with yeah. a Matthews wanting to sign here for four five, six years, whatever it is for him, he's going to think, well, I need to know what the outlook of this team is in the next three, five, six years. Why would I commit if I don't know how this is going to, where my buddies are going to go? Unfortunately, that's just the reality, right? He needs to know what the plan is laid out before he just commits, unless you completely overpay and give him the biggest contract in the history of the NHL, which may still happen, but whether it's rightly or wrong in terms of he's deserved it, because based off the previous season, you would say no, that's probably where we're close to headed. Um, But he's going to need to know some sort of framework of what's going to happen with the new guy coming in. And I I think if Kyle Dubas was still here, it's much more likely this gets done faster. And that's what creates the doubt. Like you said. Um, Yeah. I, I, I think, that's something to be very, very, you know, um, sort of watching over the next couple of weeks to see who yeah. this new guy is that comes in and how he starts um, discussing the, the top players. My fear in all of this is that Dubis is the sacrificial lamb, actually, and nobody else gets moved. And we start the season with basically the same core, maybe even, which I don't think this will happen, but maybe even Sheldon Keefe gets to start and keep his job. And, and all of a sudden... Basically, the big move, the big swing in the summer was we got rid of Dubas. He was the problem, which I completely don't agree with. I think that's that that's a scare of mine that that could yeah. be what happens because because it seems like based off things that um, Elliot Friedman's reporting that Shanahan has talked to the star players after the Dubas um, after Dubas was let go, yeah. and he sort of told them that uh, you know tongue in cheek that at this time we're not looking at moving the big pieces off the team. That scares me. Yeah. No, it it it's very scary. Actually, yeah. it, it's very scary. Just on the coaching thing too, Lucas, yeah. and and that's why people can hate on Dubis like you want. But again, it's like we don't know what happened behind closed doors. So as as me, I'm just I'm I'm continuing the speculation when I say, oh, look at the last year moves. That was Shanahan. Maybe it wasn't. I mean, maybe it was just Dubis realizing it hasn't worked. And I mean, as much as that press conference from him was an absolute disaster, he did still outline that he was willing to make a big move. He, he still outlined it. He still discussed it. So it seemed like Dubas was just being brutally honest and, and airing a lot of stuff the same way Shanahan ended up. I mean, Dubas didn't air private conversations, I guess, the way Shanahan did. But um, there was a lot of honesty, too much, probably too much honesty for a public press conference. But my point in saying that is that when you look at the moves that were made, Dubas is still the general manager. He's still, I would say, responsible for those moves. And while the Leafs didn't win a Stanley Cup, 
those moves were a lot more significant and a lot more beneficial to this team than we've ever seen with this core, in my opinion. And yeah. I feel like and a he, lot of people would agree. He owned it up there when he said that it is on me. I'll give him the kudos for that. And um, I mean, he yeah. probably shouldn't have done the press conference to begin with as Shanahan. Yeah, as to, Shanahan, right? <laughs> correct, correct. I, I do, I do, you know, um, I'm very careful with myself um, being overly high and confident with, with Kyle Dubas because I am a Dubas guy um, in the sense that, you know, all the previous GMs that I've seen in my life were not as competent in my opinion. So that makes me Definitely have not. a deeper, a deeper found respect for Kyle Dubas, which rightly or wrongly, that's the reality of my life as a fan. Um, so well, Lucas, so I, I was just going to say, that's yeah. how it works in like so many things, whether it's sports politics is like, sometimes you're truly not riding like for someone because they're the absolute best out there. You're yeah. riding for them because they're much better than the other options. They're <laughs> the best you've ever seen or yeah. they're the best <laughs> out of the bad bunch. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and that's, yeah. And that's my fear with the, with the GMs that the Leafs are going to give uh, interviews to, right? Like yeah. who is really out there that you're very confident in making the next big stamp on this team. For me at this time, you need to probably do some more research. I'm not like overly confident or have like one guy that I'm campaigning for. I do like, I do like over the bunch. I do like, um, help me again, the buddy from Carolina. Eric Tulski. Eric Tulski. I do like his his analytic and the mind that he sort of and the team that he's built in a large way in Carolina that he has his fingerprints on. Um, but uh, but I need to do some more research to really have an informed opinion on this. But but then again, think, that does that fit the Shanahan experienced uh, GM with bite? Probably not. Probably <laughs> not. So um, yeah. So no, I was just going to quickly say too on, on that on that point yeah. uh, of the what you outlined, like the big mistake of just going into the season with Dubis being the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. I mean, that would just, and it would be really disappointing in terms of even Shanahan seeing everything that's the, this team has been through an or, organization is that, I mean, you're just not learning old lessons. Like it was such wasted progress when the Leafs decided to go into the new season with Babcock, when there was already that doubt and already the questioning if he was going to be the coach at all, just to waste like months of the season to make the in-season coaching change. And it's like the same thing where it's like this Keefe experiment, which was just fully dubious essentially. And that goes back to, again, talk about power dynamic. If, if Kyle Dubas had freaking like handcuffs or wasn't able to do anything, Sheldon Keefe never, never would have been this head coach. Like he never would have been the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. If it was just Shanny, if Shanny was just locking up Dubas on all his decisions, Sheldon Keefe never would have been a head coach of this team. He just never would have been. He didn't have yeah. the experience. And you literally went from night to day of like a Babcock, Lou Lamorello, agree or disagree on the, the structure of what the Leafs were to Dubas and Keith. And now with how Shanahan's talking about the experience, how on earth can you go back into the new season with Sheldon Keith as the head coach when you're talking about experience and bite? For most of these playoffs that we've seen with this core with Sheldon Keith the coach, there's been no bite. There's been absolutely zero bite. Maybe because of the players they added, there was a bit more this season and the playoffs, but it's what you said, Lucas. It's like, how on earth where it's like the trades, the moves that were made are essentially from the general manager and you fired the general manager. And for the product of on the actual ice from the players, which is to me, in terms of the players being in place, is in the responsibility of the head coach and literally the players that are playing. And yeah. they won one game past the first round after all those moves. And you're going to keep all those core players and the head coach. Like, are we yeah. out of our mind? Like, man, if they do that, I don't know how anyone can defend that. I don't care if you're going to be like, oh, the core four, all it takes is just one opportunity. Okay, then you know what? 
then you've got to bring in different core guys to mix and match with those guys on top of having just a new head coach. It just, it just got to happen. Yeah. And that's why I was so excited to see Dubis because he even said in the press conference that, you know, he referenced the Matthew Kachuk trade and, you know, trading, you know, a really core piece um, and, and another good player, obviously we are going out the door too. At the time, it looked like a great deal for really both sides, especially I saw a lot of people, maybe even myself included, if I remember that thought Calgary got a great haul there. Right. And, and so just that type of deal is what I was looking forward to this summer. And it seemed Dubis was so open to doing that. I really hope the next guy in charge is open to looking at options like that. But as, as far as coaching, rounding it back to what you're saying, there's no way, there's just no way they can bring back Sheldon Keith, man. I mean, he has, he has been outcoached. I've seen it all almost over Twitter. Series, but man. In almost every series. You could argue he was outcoached this year in both series. Like you could argue John Cooper outcoached him because guess what? We talked about it on, pre- on the previous show that the lightning really, you know, a much weaker lightning than we've ever seen outplayed the Leafs in most of that series. Right. Yeah. And that comes down to Dubas is sitting up, sitting upstairs. Like Shanahan said, he can't do much after the trade deadline. Okay. He sort of just crosses his fingers, does his day to day, but he can't really put his imprint on the team. No, that's coaching. And that's the players. And that's who's most should be most accountable for this disaster this year. And for what's happened in previous years, you know, Dubas can set them up for success. Like I believe he did this year, but now it's on Sheldon Keefe. And, and and I don't want to say it's you know most on Sheldon Keith. It's mostly on the players, and they failed over and over again, right? So there's got to be you know if you're going to get rid of Dubis, I think Keith's got to go too. And you got to seriously look at all options, yeah. all options on all four guys on what you can get. If 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 Matthews can't sign before the season starts, you have to look at what you can possibly bring back. If Nylander can't, because guess what? They're probably not going to offer Nylander anything until they get Matthews sorted right? There's a strong possibility that's the case. You need to look at what you can get. Marner, year after year, like you've talked about in your videos, has not produced year after year in the playoffs in big games. Come on. We got to look at that option too. And tomorrow, Lucas, I just, I was just going to quickly say on the Marner topic. Yeah. Just please stop. If you're a casual, you're a casual. Don't look at NHL.com and just look at the stats and pull it up. What? Because he got you got a couple secondary assists in a game one or, or like, I just, I'm so tired of it because Lucas, I'll have people coming up to me. I, I want you to go into the Tavares conversation, but uh-huh. on the Marner one, I'm so tired of people being like, Oh, he had 15 points in 11 games. He was the best player in the, in the series. And it's like, bro, you weren't watching man. Like, I, I mean, you know what? I'll actually say this in the last, in, in the game four in the game five, he actually like, it wasn't like the guy was like coasting and looking irrelevant he was he was putting in an effort but like i just the moral victories i'm so past this and then i have people talking to me about like marner's a playmaker i mean you know what (laughs) i've been told for years that patrick kane is an unreal playmaker he should be only a playmaker please go look at the chicago blackhawks playoff success stories and their stanley cup runs and watch all of the amazing goals patrick kane scored in um like big time moments like actual big time clutch moments including a stanley cup winning goal and then compare Mitch Marner to Patrick Kane again to me because that's that's the player he's always been compared to, Lucas. But yeah, I, you're right. Mitch Marner has always been compared to Patrick Kane, and Patrick Kane is known to be a playmaker, like literally a playmaker, and has scored. So I'm so tired of this. Oh, Mitch Marner's just a playmaker. He shouldn't score big goals. You can't. You shouldn't be making it like putting it to putting his feet to the fire that he has to score goals. You know what I mean? Like, no. Guess what? He makes a certain amount of money. He's an extremely talented player, as we see in the regular season. He produces. 
where does this go? This evaporates. Yeah. You know, as as far as the big time plays, they evaporate in the playoffs. I don't care about your secondary assists. Because guess what? If you really want to look up the numbers, there's a damn lot of a secondary assist in the season that he gets that yeah. juices numbers too. Okay. I, I, this isn't going to be a dump on Marner. And Lucas, show, people but... act like he doesn't. You no, know, no. And I don't yeah. want to make it a dump on Marner's show, but it's like yeah. people act like he doesn't score in the regular season either. Like he had yeah. 30 goals this year and he had 35 last year. Like, so you're going to tell me the guy's not capable of scoring? Again, he's making $11 million. You're, you're not making $11 million to play. Yes. This year, he was playing Selkie-level defense in the regular season. And then on top of that, yeah, he almost hit 100 points. That doesn't mean shit when it comes to the playoffs. Again, we're not talking about Stanley Cup winning. Like, I I always have people talking to me about, like, okay, to me, I I look at Hall of Fame guys, like, guys we watched growing up, Lucas, like a Sundin or Alfredson, guys like that. It's like, okay, they didn't win a Stanley Cup. But they also had, like, zero... I mean, not Alfredson, specifically Sundin. They had like zero around them. Mitch they Marner. They have a great supporting cast. Yeah. yeah. Mitch Marner plays with freaking Austin Matthews. And they combined for one goal in the second round. And Mitch Marner's only, like, the only goal between those two guys was a freaking seeing eye shot from the point because Bobrovsky couldn't see anything, like, literally anything. So, no, I want you to continue on the Tavares, but I'm so tired of people just looking at freaking NHL.com, looking at the stats and be like, oh, guy had 14 and 11 games. He was dominating. He was the best in the series. Too many guys doing that. Too yeah, many guys just 100%. looking at numbers and, and saying that, look, look at the number. Like the numbers tell the story. I'm not dismissing the numbers. They tell part of the story. Let's put it that way. You need to watch shift by shift. When you're when you're examining players of this talent, this magnitude, this much money on the line, I mean, you got to watch every play they make in, in the key moments. And as the series goes on, there just seems to be jitters and stage fright, particularly yeah, with 34 and 16 yeah, in my big eyes. Time. Um, and I mean, when you're playing 25 plus minutes a night, also you're bound yeah. to get freaking assists. Like just yeah. put it that way. You're it's bound to get happen. assists. It's going <laughs> to happen. So for, for Tavares, going back to Tavares. Yeah, sorry, go. Um, It's tough, man. You know, like we're going into year, are we going into year six of John Tavares' deal? I'm pretty sure we're going into year six. Yes, because he's, he signed a, seven-year deal. So if he's got this year coming up, he's got one more year. That's crazy, right? Already right there. That five, yeah, of five or six. Yeah, but yeah, that's crazy. There, I'm pretty sure we've gone through five already. Okay. Yeah, we're going to six because it was a seven-year deal. Yeah, yeah, we're going into six. Okay, Th- that makes me sick because <laughs> I honestly remember when they signed him and, and you know, rightly or wrongly, everybody looked at the cap hit. Everybody looked at, he's not a great skater. You know, all the downsides that could happen. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was just tossed up in the air, like like a lot of these long-term deals are in free agency as, well, you know what? Those first four and five years, that's the key, right? The last two years, you just got to soak it and deal with it. And that's where we are now, right? And you've seen the decline in his play. They haven't got anything really out of the five years. They got one round win. And he scored a big goal that put them into the second round. I give him the credit for that. But you really got to have a serious (laughs) conversation now. As now that we're in year six, and then there's year seven, like, is he the captain of the team going forward? I guess this is a separate conversation. Um, or do you, you know, maybe perhaps stir the pot like the Jets did with Blake Wheeler and remove it from him and give it to someone else? Um, which I'm sure there'll be a lot of people campaigning for. Well, we said this five years ago that it should have been Matthews's captaincy or Riley's captaincy, right? Um, but that's a separate con- that's that's one co- part of the conversation. Yeah. The other part is his role has to be completely. It's got to be reduced. We cannot hold him to the same standard as the other three anymore. Even though the money is the same, 
as especially Matthews and Marner, I think there sort of has to be an understanding that he's not going to be at that. We all knew he wasn't going to be at that level in year six. It's it's unfair in a way to hold him to it, even though he's got the money price tag, because it's just the reality of the situation. He's a yeah. limited player, John. Like you can't 100%. expect him to, to to make the plays that Matthews, Marner, and Nylander are capable of in the primes of their careers. No, and that's why, I mean, Lucas, that's why it's such a, like it, the whole conversation is disgusting because it's like, yeah. You have the drivers in terms of Matthews and Marner, and they just weren't driving play. If anything, I watched back on game four and game five in that Panther series. As much as Tavares, again, it's just like the play driving is just not there because he's just limited at this point. Yeah. Guy was creating a lot more than both those guys I just mentioned, like a lot more. So that that's why it's just, it's so disappointing because he, at this point, yeah, year six and seven, he is supposed to be a support factor yeah. in the, the top six not a driving factor he's supposed to be a support factor guy I and mean, if, if we want to talk about numbers folks Tavares was still a point per game in the season and still put up eight points in 11 games still put up four goals in the first round yeah again inflated because of the hat trick but also scored the most important goal as you mentioned yeah. in, in the last 19 years of the toronto maple leafs yeah so my point is he is supposed to be that. And that was always the understanding. It was always the understanding. As you said, July 1st, 2018, it was always the understanding that for the first five years, it's so funny we're at the point right now because it's proof in the pudding. For the first five years, you are going to get a great, great player in the top six. Yeah. And I mean, I can't, I, I don't understand how you can look at Tavares' last five years and criticize the guy. Uh, yeah. And I still think he's a really good, he's a really good piece to your top six, right? He's a really good piece. My, my, my thing is, he, there is a bit of a track record now. You know, there is a case study to be done on the fact that John Tavares has won one playoff series with the Leafs since he got here. No, and when he was and when he was on the Islanders, they didn't have much success either. Right when he was there, and, and it, it, it's not specifically him. I know, but he did but have he like too, nothing. He had nothing with the Islanders, man. I, I mean, sometimes though, if you look at it, like the Islanders won some playoff series after he left, and. I think for the most part, a lot of that team was the same. No, no. I mean, if you look at like, if you look, I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying there, but I'll just like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll drive to the point where it's like for the majority of his time with the Islanders and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to shade these guys, but it's like yeah. his line mates for a majority of the time, Islanders fans get in the comments, Matt Molson, Kyle Lucpozo, Josh Bailey. And it's like, are those guys really going to like carry? Like my point is, I think it was more of a mindset of like the, the what we've seen from Seattle this year, essentially, Lucas. Like they were able to divide the money that Tavares would have taken up, and they divided yeah. it up among a group that really didn't have a star player. And you know mm -hmm. what? That actually works quite a few. I mean, that works quite a bit. I mean, it's Seattle, working better right now. Proof uh, point, Seattle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think it was more that. I mean, yeah. I, my, my here's my thing. If we're gonna go into next season, and there's you know, there's probably still going to be a lot of change to come, right? We can safely assume that this team they have right now is going to be very different in October. Um, while we're in this transition period of switching the GM, perhaps the coach, perhaps a core piece, right now, do you make the call and change the captaincy or bring in someone who's been a captain before who has that leadership experience? Like an O'Reilly, they're probably not going to keep O'Reilly at this point, but someone like that. Um, because I, I just find that, you know, at least from what we see from the outside, John Tavares is a very reserved, um, yeah. you know, calm, calm individual. And I feel like they they might need a guy who's more of a, you know, a Steve Eiserman type or Rod Brindamore type. 
who just gets in people's face. It like, you know, that type of energy as a leader, because I find they're probably, they've learned a lot from Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. And I, I just, I don't think they have that. Like when you watch the lightning on the bench, man, they're always talking, yelling at each other. Like yeah. I, I've always found the Leafs lack a little bit of that. I, I can't, I can't like put, you know, I don't have tangible numbers or evidence that back that, but I just, from, from seeing it from afar, Tavares, it might be time for a different type of leader. No, man, I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm ready yeah. to see a new captain, to be honest. And yeah. I, I've always been a big Tavares guy. Um, I mean, again, where it, it just goes back to the culture problem, Lucas, in my opinion, where it's like when it go, you rewind back to the time where the captain decision was being made. And again, we're not going to go into specifics. You guys know what happened, but it's like Austin Matthews essentially didn't get picked because of something that happened off the ice for one. And I mean, Riley, uh, Riley was a prime candidate too. Yeah. Like I'm not going to read into it, but the rumors were suggesting that Mike Babcock or who, I don't know if it was Babcock or Shanahan. It was, it was one of the two essentially didn't want to just default to Morgan. So they gave it to the former captain and professionalism guy in Tavares. Right. So it's like, the captain decision is just, it's another example of the culture problem that has existed in this team where it's like decisions are being made for the wrong reasons. Um, and, and now, Lucas, in my opinion, again, I'm I'm probably the wrong guy to be just hammering this point home because, the, again, the default will be probably Morgan if Austin doesn't get it. But it's like, I think it's such a wrong decision to give Austin the captain at this point, in my opinion. I, I think because, even again... If he signs, the, even if he signs a long-term deal? Okay, if Austin signs an eight-year deal for like yeah. eleven to twelve million, yeah. Okay, sure. That that yeah. shows commitment. It shows that you're not selfish. It shows that you're not all about the money. Yeah. But if Austin signs, in my opinion, Lucas, for a a penny more than Nate McKinnon, yeah, and not a freaking full out eight-year deal, that's a four or five-year deal. It shows me enough, man. It shows me yeah. enough. And if you give him the captain, it's for all the wrong reasons. Once yeah, again. I agree. I actually agree with that wholeheartedly. So. I mean, we'll leave it at that. We'll continue the conversation, yeah. but uh, man, they've got some tough decisions. Um, but I, I think there is a real result, Lucas. I'll just say quickly that they do go like basically the Jets route and, and strip Tavares and just run with no captain. Like, yeah, I, I think that's a real result. But I again, I, I do hope there's a change in, in the team in terms of players on the ice. In terms of that big four, there's got to be at least one change, in my opinion. You got to break it up. You got to send a message. And then obviously just the coach. I mean, I, I don't know how Keith can come back. Okay, so coming out of Leaf Talk there, uh, I mean, interesting chats there with Lucas, so definitely give your thoughts. Shoot us a DM if you'd like. And, and yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with Dubas. Obviously, a lot of Pittsburgh rumors right now, and it seems like the Pens are going heavy after two of the guys we just mentioned and Dubas and Tulski, so we'll see if any of that materializes. Maybe both of them, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so out of it, the chat, current team, I'm repping Hurricanes down 3-0 as we record against the Panthers well, the Panthers are just, I mean, they're money right now in the playoffs. 10 and 1 in their last 11 games, which is stupid to say. Uh, they've won, I think, all six overtimes I think they've been in. So <laughs> just an absolute, just, I mean, disaster for everyone else. But obviously, Bobrovsky and Kachuk, uh, you could probably solidify those two as a one-two punch for the Conn Smythe right now. And then, of course, you got the jerseys in the background. As we record, Vegas-Dallas game threes tonight. So I'm hoping... Uh, Hey, this is no shot against Vegas fans out there, but I'm just hoping Dallas makes this a series based on the other one right now. But Lucas, man, how are you feeling based on what you've been watching so far? And uh, what's the buzz at the uh, the NHL folks over there? You know, I, I heard for the first time today from a colleague, I'd have to do some research to see if this is true or not, but I heard that this may be the first Final Four where like all four cities like 
haven't heard of snow before. Like they don't <laughs> know snow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's definitely a different feel. Um, you know, I feel like everyone's, you know, with, with four teams that are so far away from the NHL offices, people are like gravitating towards story, different storylines, whether it's the, you know, in Ottinger, we trust because he's the best goalie left. I mean, Bobrovsky's proving otherwise right now, but whether you are on the Kachuk wagon uh, of the Rat King in Florida himself or Jack Eichel in his first playoffs with with Vegas is a cool story. And then the Hurricanes with the guys they've lost, right? And they're still going, um, at least as we record, they are. Uh, so, and Brad Brindamar just being a, such a cool coach to, to watch and follow how he does his thing. Um, so I think all four have their unique stories. Um the vibe at the NHL, particularly for for my my uh, you know my department, my work, it's it's a little tough right now because the uh, the website visits are a little bit down with a, b- a lot of big market teams not in. But it's it is a good thing to see these markets that aren't traditionally known for hockey getting that you know getting that uh, extended runtime into the spring. I, I, I'm yeah. I'm here for it. I wish my team was still in, but we're gonna pretend this jersey right here is a Panthers one because that's a bit of the wagon I'm on now. I think after they beat the Leafs. You know, I'm hoping they get it done, man. I want this, you know, I do eventually want the Florida Vegas final because it's two teams that we've never seen win, right? So I, I like that. Yeah, I was also going to yeah. say, I, I feel like based on our Leaf chat, you're also hammering home that it's like, if the Panthers win here, it's just another reason for, okay, the Leafs lost the cup champs. So, no, I mean, I'm I mean, pulling your it, leg. <laughs> no, I, I, I never like to give that excuse, but like they, they are a team right now. You know, I heard um, Pierre Maguire was talking on our uh, – on uh, Stanley Cup Central, the show that me and you have appeared on a few times, and we're jumping on tonight, uh, uh, Tuesday night. Um, and uh, he was talking about the Cinderella one run of Florida, and you know what was his favorite Cinderella run of all time? And his was uh, the Montreal Canadiens of '93, and Patrick Waugh just carried them. They won ten games in overtime, which is ludicrous. Kind of like the Panthers a little bit with what they're doing, yeah. um, and the, the Panthers really measure up to that. Obviously, me being, you know, my second team being the Blues, that was a big story. I know they weren't one of the wildcard teams to make it in, but they were in last at Christmas time and that whole thing that happened. So I like going for that eight seed, the LA Kings, when they first won the cup. Um, So that's why I'm kind of on the Florida wagon, John. I do want to see that team that has been playing must-win hockey um, since, you know, March, early March, um, finish this thing off and get it done and see the rats just litter the ice. Oh, something ha- like it has to be said about like the playoff style hockey leading towards yeah. the last couple months of the season and just having that mentality. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at like the teams left and like, I don't think it's a reach to look at three of these four teams. to like, be like, okay, going into the playoffs, they're either, either a cup team or like a favorite to get there. I mean, I, I had Dallas going to the conference finals. Like a lot of people had that in their consideration, uh, to me, I think a lot of people had Vegas going to at least the second round and had the mindset of like, okay, Vegas Edmonton winner of that good chance for the cup final appearance. And then, I mean, Carolina, I mean, I think it just changed because of the injuries for the hurricanes, yep. but yep. I think Carolina was probably like always a, a cup favorite or a team to watch for the cup this year. So yeah, man, it really just came down to Florida. I mean, Florida is just that story right now. And I mean, to me right now, if I had to pick a team, uh, I I'm just riding the hot hand. That's why. I mean, I had Hurricanes fans getting at me before the series, and, and hey, maybe we still got a miracle, but it's like, regardless of skill, regardless of roster, like, 
makeup. I, I think overall momentum is such a scary thing in the playoffs and we're seeing it again firsthand. We're being reminded and, and people shouldn't be surprised. And so, goaltending, buddy. Yeah, like Bobrovsky, and, and goaltending. Well, I just that speaks to the hot hand, right? So goaltending, I mean, especially if your goaltender's hot. That's <laughs> Yeah, is, is Bobrovsky worth his contract all of a sudden? Like after all these years of being down on him, I mean... I mean, guys man, repping. I think he's, saves. Yeah, man. I, I think he's repping like a 935 save percentage in the playoffs right now. I mean, I think he, I think after last uh, game three, he's made 110 saves on his last 111 shots. Yeah, it's something stupid like, like that. Yeah. But, but for Bobrovsky, it's like, man, you know, all hockey fans knew he had this, he had this level of play. But it's it's just roller coaster with him. In the last few years, he's just been so down that like you thought it was over. You thought he was on the back nine, yeah. it was done. Some of the saves he's making, like the the one where Cock and Yemi made an unbelievable pass from his knees. Um and uh he, man, like a bunch of them. I, I feel like Marty Natchez has made like three passes from the boards, like cross yeah. ice, and Bobrovsky's like throwing a stick away, just going, I don't need a blocker save. Crazy, unbelievable. Yeah. And I think uh, Carter Verhage, obviously a huge story. Like, I don't want to bury Kachuk. You know, he scored the two overtime goals and yeah. he's been a monster. He's the, he's the real leader, but, but for Hagee with big time goals in every round, he's been so good. Um, Sasha Barkov's doing his thing. I, I was, something did come across my mind today, John, when I was looking at just like all four of these teams and it was that, you know, Buffalo Sabres fans, they must be, you know, over the moon with the way their team's trending now. And it seems like it's getting on a good, good, good path for success in the, the near future. But seeing Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, and Brandon Montour all yeah. having significant impacts yeah. in the conference finals got to sting a little bit, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I mean, the Reinhart one, it looks like they got a really good return in terms yeah. of what they they got back. I think they're very happy with their Eichel return and Alex yep. Tuck and, and the package built around that. But the fact that they tossed Montour away, away for a mid-round pick is just after giving up, I'm pretty sure they gave up like a first and third for him originally. And then just like he never, they never gave him a real opportunity because like they were trying to push Dallin, which rightfully so. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it Lucas, it just goes back to like opportunity. I mean, we talked about, I've talked about the Eric Carlson, Brent Burns conversation so many times. And it's just like, especially on defense, more times than not, like you have your one offensive guy and you can't really have other guys competing where they're going to actually be successful. And like with Uyghur out of the picture and obviously Ekblad's there, but Ekblad's not like that offensive skating end to end driving force. Like he has the shot, he can be on the power play, but it's like Montour is that guy. Uyghur was that guy last year for Florida. This year, it is Montori, and he's taking that opportunity. And I would just say uh, overall in the defense, like I saw people, I mean, maybe I got in on this conversation, but I just, I saw it worse on Twitter. It was like back in October, people calling Florida's defense like AHL level. And I mean, on, yeah. on paper, if you look at three of the guys where it's like Josh Mahura, who spent a lot of AHL time the last couple of years, uh, Radko Gudis has kind of always just had that narrative of just like a bottom pair guy, like rough and tough. That's all he is. And then Mark Stahl, who was like dumped to Detroit as like seeing like his career was going to be over and how he's playing heavy minutes in the top four, like those three guys specifically. And then Gustav Forsling was like, has never been a big name. I mean, I've given a major recognition, but the way he's playing in the playoffs right now is just insane. So sure. You have these two names in, in Ekblad and obviously Montour is just broken out, but it's like, man, they have all six guys, Homer Reese. I mean, Basically, I think they put like Fitzgerald for a game against Boston. But outside of that, through the Leaf series and this series, they have not touched that defense once. It hasn't changed once. And, and, and they're, I mean, their top nine hasn't changed once. 
basically. Yeah, until, outside of the Barkov, Barkov injury. Yeah, yeah exactly. until Barkov now. But Florida, man, Florida, like, as as you just went through the blue line and even just looking at their forwards too, like with, like I said, with Reinhardt scoring so many big goals, for Hagee scoring big goals, um, just, you know, these were guys that, you know, on other teams, maybe they weren't given that opportunity, like you said, to that same degree, or they, they're just relishing it now uh, and really hitting their stride now. I mean, there's so many guys on the Panthers that are playing at like a career level. Like this is their peak right now. Yeah. It, and, and it's like, when you look at it in the first round, you're like, okay, eventually this has got to stop. And in the second round, okay, eventually someone's got to get cold. A few guys are going to fall off on the blue line. It didn't. And now we're in the third round. They're up 3-0. Like eventually you got to look at it and say, no, this is just them this year. This is really who they are. And, and there's not much time left in the Stanley cup playoffs for them to fall off. Like this yeah. is really the team that they have. Um, so that's why they got to be considered. I mean, with the momentum they're riding, like you said, momentum's a huge thing. They got to be considered the favorite as of now. Also, that they're up three zero, but right. Yeah. But no, no, one hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> I, I'll say this: like, I think depending on what happened that Vegas Dallas series, like, I don't want to get too ahead, but it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's maybe lazy and just too easy to compare them to like the LA Kings. But it was like once the LA Kings similar. Obviously, it's not the same because LA came back from three zero and and they did just crazy things. It was like. Florida coming back from that 3-1 against Boston, when they won that series, there was basically nothing stopping them. I mean, we saw it. <laughs> like, we we are seeing it. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, to me, I'll see what happens in that Vegas-Dallas series, but, I mean, I think Florida's winning the Cup based on what is, I'm seeing right now. There, is there any chance Carolina, like, the Leafs were in this exact spot a couple weeks ago? Not even. Yeah. Is there any chance Carolina – um, makes this interesting and, and and wins, you know, one in South Florida, like the Leafs did. And then, and then, you know, gets it back home and maybe can create something out of this. Um, and, and how, what is the recipe for that in your eyes? Yeah. I mean, maybe it goes back to game six. I would just say you've basically got to have Frederick Anderson outduel Bobrovsky essentially, because right now to me, man, I honestly don't think that changes. I think that part of the equation doesn't change. I, I'm, I'm being serious. I am being straight out serious. I think that part of the equation doesn't change. And I know you're laughing there, but it's like, the it's maybe a lazy answer. But I'm telling you right now, based on what I'm watching right now, Carolina just does not have the forces. Maybe they win one game. Maybe they win two. Like exactly how Toronto won that 2-1 game in game four. I could see Carolina winning a game like that, the similar way. But to win a couple games here and make this a series... It literally just has to be down to like, if you guys, anyone watching or listening to this pod right now, if you have confidence that Carolina is going to get back in the series, put some serious money that the next three games are going to be the under, because it's like, it's going to be those stereotypical games. Um, if, if there ends up being a five, four game with Bobrovsky in the net, I will be absolutely shocked. And I, and I won't even understand what I'm watching because just the way the trend's going, it's going to have to be exactly that times three Lucas for this to become a series. Which... And it's it's just funny <laughs> thinking about Freddie Anderson out-dueling a goalie in big games. Um, don't really remember a lot of that in his time with the Leafs. But man, so I'm I, sorry. I you can't be blaming him faith. for this. <laughs> I don't have faith in that it's going to happen. He's been very good when he's been in net this series. I got to say, he hasn't yeah. lost them any of the games. No. Uh, which is new, you know, watching Freddie Anderson. Because no, okay. sometimes he does... <laughs> I'm not trying to dog on him, but come on. I mean, we've seen it. So I think Freddie Anderson's due for a game where he gives up some... St- Thinkers, I think he's due for that. So it's really going to come from if Bobrovsky does the same. 
Uh, and I don't see that happening. So yeah. uh, Freddie Anderson has to basically play lights out. And I did find it interesting that he didn't even play the second game. Um, oh yeah. I mean that, that, but to me, yeah. I think that's Rod just trying to go galaxy brand in the sense that it was like, is it, or is it Rod going, you know what? I looked at the numbers and Freddie Anderson in some big games. No, man. I mean, no. Freddie, Freddie had what, like 55 saves or something. Like I honestly, I, to me, I strictly think that it was like, I mean, Dallas or was it, was it Dallas? No, many did the same. Many did the same where yeah. Philip Gustafson went through the crazy overtime yeah. and they put flurry in just because the confidence. I mean, I think, I don't think Paul Maurice ever would have done that, but I also think that it's like just Bobrovsky, the run that he's having you, you're not touching it regardless. Um, I mean, it, to me, it was a bit of a mistake, but it's not like Ranta again was at fault for the game too either. So, I mean, man, honestly, I think Rod's trying to do anything here, but it, you can only do so much when it's like Bobrovsky's playing this way. Florida's just riding this high and it also doesn't help. I mean, in this type of series, having a guy like Svechnikov and I'm repping the Jersey right now, um, not having him is just such a huge loss, especially in a series like this with the size and, and the creativity. Like, I mean, I, 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 I don't compare it to this, but it's like Nylander was that guy for Toronto that has that different level of creativity where it's like, he's going to create chances for himself and be able to beat a hot goaltender like Bobrovsky. He did a bit in back-to-back games. I feel like they're missing that from Svech right now. The only guy that I thought was actually creating a lot individually was Aho in that last game. But again, yeah. not enough to finish. I feel like three of his chances were in tight, like down low at the pad. And, and but Rossi's just saving that every time. So, yeah, man, I mean. Yeah, and, and he can't do it all. I mean, when you yeah. look at the depth, the depth pieces on Carolina right now, um, and you just, you know, no disrespect, but you stack them up against the Panthers and it does not equal out. I mean, Derek, Derek step on. Again, these are guys at the end of their careers or are lower in the lineup players, but they need a goal every so often from them. And when Jesse Pugliarvi has gotten on, Derek Stepan's gotten on. I know Tara Vinan's only played five games, but he's got zero points. Um, Jack Drury's got the three assists in 12 games. I know a lot, not a lot to be expected of him, but these are all guys that they're going to need a, a goal or something here and there because Aho and, and even Jarvis, you know, being young, they can't be expected to just drag the whole team. Jordan Martin hooks actually had a sick, a uh, little little stats line here. He's got three goals and seven assists. I'm looking at it right now. Well, I was about to but, say, uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm not ever going to dog on Martin Hook based on no, what he's done, but it's like- He's playing great. Obviously, that's an issue when you're relying on Martin Hook to be yeah. one of the top three, top four scorers in the forward group. And that's no knock against Martin Hook. I think he's a beauty. And you know what? I actually talked about it with a buddy. I think Martin Hook's from Ontario. I would love Martin Hook on the Leafs on a third line role. Don't get me wrong. But it's just like, that can't be- one of your top three or top no. four scorers. It just can't. And, and that tells you how different this team would look if they had Sveshnikov and Pacioretty in there, right? It pushes a couple of these guys out of the lineup, and then all of a sudden you have two impact players, right? Like, it, yeah. it eventually was going to come to this that the Hurricanes would face, you know, troubles in a series where it's like they really wish they had those guys. For some reason, yeah. they got they got this far without really having to think about it that much, but now we're here, and the reality setting in that, like, they don't have you know great enough depth at the forward position. Um, so yeah, I, I think Carolina can, you know, if I had to choose right now, I think the Panthers are gonna get the sweep done personally. Yeah, um, we'll see. Just off my faith in Freddie. But uh I, I think Carolina, they are strong enough to see that they can get a game. But yeah, we'll it, 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 as it as always, John, it starts with one and then we go from there, right? Um it, it's much different if Carolina comes back home down three one, right? I mean, then who knows if they can win one there but one game at a time yeah. for the West. Let's talk about the West a little more. 
Yeah. Sorry, quickly before we go to the yeah. West, I just want to I want to throw this at you just quickly, yeah. and then yeah, we'll yeah. cover the West. Yeah, um, on the topic of pushing down players, and that's why I think Florida has been so, so successful from their last year Presidents Trophy, is like having that line they've produced in Cousins, Bennett, Kachuk. Mm-hmm. That at the end of the day, all three guys play playoff style hockey. It's pushed down a guy like Reinhardt, who we talked about. Where it's like having Sam Reinhardt with Lundell and Lustrain on that third line has created such a matchup nightmare for so many of these teams. And I mean, that, yeah, that just that goes to the discussion of of just spreading things out. And, and I mean, Reinhardt's he's flourished in a, in a role like that. I mean, he hasn't taken it as like a third. Uh, and that's why at times, Lucas, I was kind of on that narrative of like, okay, spread out the guys in Toronto or spread out the guys in Boston because it was like it, it, sometimes the top heavy stuff is just not working. And that's what you saw. But, um, just quickly before we go to the West. So back once upon a time when Bennett was getting traded from, I talked about this on Twitter and I, I I've been, we haven't been on the pod, so I've been meaning to bring it up with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Toronto was like inquiring about Sam Bennett from Calgary. Mm-hmm. And at the time people looked at Bennett as like a fourth liner. I mean, whatever. Um, Calgary was willing to make the deal with Toronto apparently, but they wanted Nick Robertson in the deal. And that was the sticking point. <laughs> that that was the sticking point of the deal and bro i i I kid you not it was one of the most like like just i i don't know how badly he got ratioed in terms of like his tweet but like nick caprios put it out there was like if you want to win right now you are trading kerfoot and robertson for sam bennett and he got clown bro like heavy Like he got like it was again. I'm not. I'm not trying to just make up fake things. Here, I remember I think, that. I remember I that. It was to the point where it's like the tweet got like ten likes and like a hundred quote tweets, like something yeah. stupid like that. And people were clowning. I'm like, this guy's dumb. Like, and, and you know what? Gabriel sometimes does have polarizing takes, but looking back at that man, especially with how the Leafs have done in the playoffs, Robertson and Kerfoot. I mean, I think Nick Robertson could still become something if he turns it around here. But it's like Robertson and Kerfoot for Bennett, like. Bro, if that would have been such a game changer. Again, who knows if Bennett would have thrived in Toronto the way he's been thriving in Florida. So it's hard to say, but like, those are the kind of guys you need in the playoffs. And that's why I've been like driving home, like guys like connect and, 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 and Scott Lawton and Philly and guys like that, where it's like Mitch Marner's making 11 million, but you could have like connecting and Schmaltz or connecting and Lawton for like less than that in two players. Anyways, my point is, in moving to the West, we're going to talk about some guys. You look at Florida, yeah, and they have a bunch of guys like that. They have a Sam yeah. Bennett. They have Sam Reinhart. Uh, they have Carter Verhage. Bro, those three guys I just listed are only making like a combined like two or three million more than Mitch Marner as one player. Like Bennett, and Verhage, and Reinhart. Think about how huge those three guys I just mentioned. Again, I, I don't have the caps in front of me, but I think Verhage's around four million. Bennett's around 4 million and Reinhardt's around 5 million. Five, yeah. So it's but like, you know, you know what's crazier about that is like specifically for Reinhardt and Bennett, like these are not guys that were picked late in the draft. These were high picks, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that's what's wild is like Reinhardt's the second overall pick. Yeah. And, uh, Bennett, and Bennett was, was, a, Bennett was third a fourth. fourth. Yeah. Bennett was fourth. And then you have, I mean, then we're getting into the rest of the team, which separates a little from the, the chat, but like Ekblad, uh, Barkov, like they have a lot of high picks high talent there so it's like it shouldn't be that surprising that they're this good but yeah to your point man having three guys like that at barely a fraction over the price of a marner or a matthews i mean it's it's showing how important it is to to go deep in the playoffs you look at the other teams that have the deep the deep uh the deep lineups like like vegas does 
like Vegas with William Carlson on the third line, right? Yep. So yeah, so let's let's transfer over. And that's exactly it, man. What I was about to say. William Carlson's yeah. adopted a new role of like the defensive style and playing third line. And I mean, Vegas has spread it out. I mean, exactly what I've talked about in the playoffs. They have Eichel and Marshall So with Barbashev. Then I believe right now they have Stone and Stevenson. And then yep. they have Carlson and Riley Smith. Yep. So it's like then they just fill in the pieces around. So they have Barbashev on one line, they have Wa on one line. Um, and then they mix it around. I mean, to the point where Kessel's been a healthy scratch for I don't know how many games now. It's been four or five, I think. Or like I kind of forgot there. he I kind of forgot he was on the team, John. I haven't seen him in forever. You're yeah, right. Yeah, so he's been scratched for the last yeah. handful of games to the point where that speaks depth, folks. That speaks depth when, like, again, Phil Kessel's way past the prime days of Phil the Thrill, but it's like having a guy that has two cups, has scored some big goals in the playoffs, just sitting on the sidelines, like that's how you know you have a freaking deep team yeah and it's because they have the identity fourth line too where like he wouldn't fit in with that with with yeah. luger uh colasar and i think it's carrier yeah yeah carrier so yeah the way vegas has constructed their lineup but this is this is not just a bruce cassidy thing this has been pretty much from day one right where they've had and, and you look at seattle it's the same sort of thing when with these expansion teams we've talked about it before they get so many good players you know not high elite most of the time but just solid middle six players and then you add in you sprinkle in the jack eichel trade and like and the mark stone and and this is what you get right like it's yeah and lucas it becomes that conversation of like their third line is as good as any second line in the league and then like their fourth line specifically with seattle we talked about it so many times like seattle's fourth line was as good as any third line in the league right Mm -hmm. when you have a guy like brandon tanev like that's the examples obviously vegas a little bit different differently structured but it's like all three lines, Cassidy is comfortable rolling against any different matchup. I mean, he's confident in Eichel in any matchup. He's confident. And I mean, talk about heist job. The fact that George McPhee got Chandler Stevenson for a fifth round pick from Washington is one of the biggest heists I've ever seen in my life. And it probably goes right there with the Montour for like a fourth or fifth round pick. So, I mean, there's some, there's some players right now that were just there was some heist going oh, on. Gosh. So, I mean, those, that's what I'm saying, man. Like the fact that you have three duos like that on all three lines, Eichel, Marcia, so stone Stevenson and Carlson, Riley Smith. I mean, that's guys, I, I Lucas all year. I've been preaching the freaking HBK line recipe. When you have three lines rolling like that in the playoffs, IE Florida, IE Vegas, the two teams that are like in a good spot to make the cup final right now. I mean, Dallas is another good example, but again, I feel like Dallas is actually an outlier, man, because they've got two contracts that are freaking heavy that are not even, yeah. I mean, Jamie Ben's been great. <laughs> Jamie Ben's been great, but it's like you have Ben and Sagan that are like basically 20 million combined or, or pushing it. They're, they're, um, they're for lack of a better term, they're boat anchors on, on, in terms of cap space, right? Yeah. They're, but they have so many but, guys on like, I mean, the Domi Marshman additions have just been perfect, but it's like when you have hints of the deal that he's at, when you have, I mean, Pavelski contributing the way he is, uh, obviously Jason Robertson, uh, Wyatt Johnson, Wyatt Johnson. coming out of the scene. I mean, oh yep. my God, bro. It's just when you have an Oscar. Yeah. I mean, Marchman, like the fact that a guy like Fax has been on the fourth line, like that just speaks enough to how deep some of these teams are. And you have to have that in the playoffs. I feel like it's such a cliche, uh, but it's just the reality of what we're watching, man. You know, what's crazy is when I look at Vegas and Dallas um, and a lot of the times in the playoffs in general, you, you, you look at the lineups and and you really hyper-focus on the goaltending and you think who's going to really steal it here. And 
Jake Ottinger is by far the best goalie in this series, no matter which one of the four Vegas goalies that you want to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it is miraculous that Vegas has four NHL caliber goalies. Um, and it doesn't, it didn't matter, you know, it, Aiden Hill's been great. Don't get me wrong. But if you have Brassois, if you have Logan Thompson, I know Jonathan Quick's in the decline, but like if you rotate any one of these guys in, like they really don't suffer much in terms of, uh, you know, their, your ability or your trust in them to win the game. Right. Yeah. That, that's unbelievable to me that they were able to, you know, they acquire Jonathan quick and he's like their fourth stringer. He's now the backup with the other two guys hurt, but like, isn't it unreal? And then you look at Dallas completely different build on the gold hitting position. Cause they have Wedgwood backing up yeah. Ottinger. Right. Um, and you have to think Ottinger's going to have one of those games where he just steals it. Right. Like he's that good. I mean, I'm so high on this guy. Like, Man, he's gonna he's gonna steal a game. I really believe it. I really hope it's tonight for Game Three because he's got to get this series. Dallas has got to win a game and get the series back on track. Oh, man, if we get but, two sweeps <laughs> as we're recording, bro, I... I'm gonna be down bad. I, I'm I'm all in on on the two teams that are down right now to make the series interesting. Overall, I want Florida to win the cup, but like I'm all in on you know make these series interesting. Yeah, Especially Lucas, the Dallas and Vegas one. Yeah, I was going to say the only thing, and this is not even a positive, it's just more so in terms of just as a consumer, in terms of talking about like the overall league. Yeah. The only positive, I guess, in terms of like if we got like, for example, a Vegas, Florida final quicker, I guess, is just in terms of like, I don't know, a couple days, maybe extra rest, you get it a little quicker. And then there's more focus on like draft and stuff. But I mean, if we're talking about Leaf fans here, I don't even know if we want that. I think we want the distraction right, <laughs> right yeah. now. But what? But my point is, I think if you're talking about um, if you want the Western team to win here, I actually think in terms of momentum and maybe stop like stop gapping a little bit of momentum here for Florida. I think if you're Vegas and Dallas, you want a Florida finish it off in four, let them sit, let them just chill, get rusty, get rusty maybe and have Dallas and Vegas just freaking cook a nice game, a seven game series. And then ride that momentum into the cup final. Because I I think at that point, if there's a, I mean, yeah, you know what? The rest might be nice for them, but it's like, frig, man, if Florida's off for five, six, seven days, somehow, I mean, that. It it can throw their mojo off because they they probably just want to keep playing every second day. Oh, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, sure. Florida finished Toronto in five, but I don't think they were off for too long. What was it? Three days? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a pretty quick turnaround because it was a, the, the Leafs won on a, uh, the end of the week, like a Thursday or Friday. And I think they were already playing on the Monday, right? So like you said, three to it four It was quick. Days. I mean, I think they had the weekend off. Then they yeah. they started playing. Uh, I mean, maybe it was the Tuesday, Wednesday. But regardless, my point is, is like the fact that it was only three, four days versus like what this could be if it's a sweep versus a seven-game series or six-game series. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I, just for the chaos, I definitely want at this point, um, I don't really care who wins in the West. I just want a longer series. Uh, I I predicted uh, I predicted Vegas Florida. Uh, I think I, yeah, I, I Vegas Florida too. Yeah, you talked about you talked about like in terms of traffic and, and just in terms of overall consumers. But I will yep. say in terms of like looking at a different perspective as like people that cover uh, mm-hmm. the league and cover the teams. I'm telling you this right now, Lucas. From Elliot Freeman to any beat reporter around, they're not going to be complaining if they're traveling back and forth from Vegas to Florida. <laughs> no way. No way. Neither is the Chicklets crew. Neither yeah. is any, any of these big guys who are going yeah. to all these, uh, all these cities, man, these are great spots yeah. to visit, right? All yeah. four of them. Yeah. You'd love to be in any of these four cities right yeah. now as, as I, as would I, right? So that's a big dub for everybody covering the game for sure. 
Exactly. So yeah, anything else we wanted to cover, but I guess just, yeah, and we, you guys know our predictions. I mean, it's looking nice in terms of the predictions. I had Florida in seven because I just thought again, Carolina's looked so good, but um, I, I man, I, <laughs> I was picking for, I'll say this because I was picking Florida regardless and that's no shot against the Canes. It's just guys, I've seen it time and time again, momentum kills, especially, yeah. I mean, momentum specifically with the goaltender as well. I mean, Florida's just, they're riding right now. They're man. feeling <laughs> it, man. Like yeah. even when they win in overtime, they're just Kachuk points to the dress. Like, let's go home. Let's get it. Let's get on to the next one. Right. Um, yeah. I, I had Florida in seven as well. I never look at your predictions, like in case you get them out before me. So I always have just like a clear head um, where we can talk about it, but I had Vegas and Florida and I had both of them in seven games. Um, not feeling too hot about Florida, Carolina going to seven right now, but I think Dallas Vegas has the potential to, if Ottinger can, steal one of these two in Dallas and the stars can put together a full team game, which I think they've done in the first two, they've just lost both in overtime and, you know, they let, they let that second one get away. Right. So um, feeling good about both the teams I predicted as are you, I'm sure right now, but yeah, as you said, I I really want long, a longer series, particularly with Dallas and and Vegas. Um, Just want more hockey, man. Just want to keep enjoying it before summertime rolls around. Well, I was also going to say, I mean, I really hope that um, I really hope that looking at these series, if they do end up becoming short, I hope that turns into, okay, both teams are in the exact same spot. Give me a game seven in the Stanley cup finals. Like give us a seven game series in the Stanley cup finals. It was so fun. Just even as like streaming on YouTube or just watching as a fan, like going back to that blues Bruins seven game series in the cup final. Like that's the stuff I want to see, man. Like, so I'm hoping chaos. Yeah. I, I'm hoping, it, regardless of how you want to criticize the, like the lack of bigger markets here in the top four or whatever, I mean, I think the eyes will be on the final if it goes to seven. And if it's a series like that, on top of, man, what it's going to do for the game, if it goes to seven between like a Florida and Vegas. I mean, I think Vegas's market is growing the way the NHL um, imagined, essentially, or at least I was hoping for. And I mean, Florida's, I would say Tampa's done their part in terms of the winning the cups and obviously uh, a lot more fans, but if the Panthers man win the cup in a seven game series in the Stanley cup final, the eyes are going to be on. Oh right? yeah, man. And, and I, and lastly, before we close out too, I want to say that all four coaches, unbelievable storylines, man. Like yeah. the fact that Pete DeBoer and Bruce Cassidy just started out with these two teams this year. Yeah is awesome to see, right? Because they just came aboard. And then you want to talk about the East. I like the East coaches dynamic even more. The fact that Maurice coached Rod Brindamore, stripped him of the captaincy to give it to Eric Stahl. Um, as I don't know if you saw that interview between them and, and Christine Simpson, but like Rod Brindamore was a little bit sour still at the fact that Maurice played him like four or five minutes a night mm-hmm. to end his career. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love like the tension yeah. still a little bit between the two, uh, but all four coaches, just great stories, man. Like, Un- unbelievable and um you know these are coaches two of them could have been had last i, I guess three of them actually because maurice um could have been uh yeah could could have been had you know prior to the season for any other team right yeah could have hired they could have hired these guys no 100 uh, I, I was just gonna check i think um rod was on his coaching staff too eh? so that's why i'm saying like yes, it's just the yes. whole storyline is just so interesting because it's like there was like salt there and there was like some bitterness and then like Maurice kind of hired him. Maurice brought sure. him on as the assistant. Yeah. And then obviously Rod ended up taking over. And yeah, yeah. like I, I just now them. Pl- and then even just like, yeah, DeBoer against his former t- uh, team in Vegas too. It's just like, there's so many different yeah. things 
um, that are the kind of materializing here. And I just have to double check. Yeah. So yeah, the me, I like the storylines. I, and I, as I said, I, I hope we get a crazy stand like a final. Cause I mean, I think we're both in the same, just, we want to grow. We want to see the sport grow and just, uh, yeah, have these markets. So yeah, I, I think if there's one thing to bring out of the, this final four is I, I hope exactly that it kind of sucks that I hope people watching don't just be like, all right, there's two sweeps here or something, but Hey, if you're watching this, I hope Dallas has come back on the series. I want to see five at least or six, seven in this series. So yeah, well, I guess we'll see what happens. All right. Episode 36. Thank you so much, guys. We are going to be more consistent here on out, especially, I mean, with the Stanley Cup final coming up, we'll definitely go week to week. And then obviously, I mean, Lucas, there's going to be so much to talk about from draft qualifying offers, uh, extensions, free agency, uh, right up into July. And then obviously I'm in the summer months, man. We could have some big guests. We'll we'll keep the we'll keep the viewers on their toes on that one. But and big things coming. Out, check us out on uh, Stanley Cup Central. We, we we appear there. It seems like a, pretty often now. I feel like we're there like every week or so. So check out the YouTube show uh, at the NHL. Um, and uh, they have great guests come on. But Johnny and I find our way there every so often. So check them yeah. out. Great people <laughs> over there. Yeah. Yep. Check out Stanley Cup Central. Check out Hot Take Hockey Podcast on Spotify and Apple. And uh, yeah, uh, keep her going, Johnny. Right, I gotta guys. go get I gotta go get my ankle checked out. Uh, Johnny and I were playing just to close out. We were playing some uh, pickup soccer. We run it every Sunday. And uh, buddy, it's it's in it's rough not shape bad. Right now. It's in rough shape, man. It's like uh, it's flared up. It's like three times the size of the other one. It's purple. Um, work from home this week, definitely. And I have an appointment tomorrow to check it out. Hopefully, there's no like it's not torn or anything or. God forbid, no surgery is required. I don't think so, but we'll see. I'll, I'll give you an update later in the week. Yeah, but... geez, bro. Hey, yeah, bro. It was guys, just... let's get some positive vibes for Lucas. Feel better. I was bro. in shambles on Sunday, and people were laughing at me on the field, man. Just a shame, bro. I was just chilling there. I was like, man, this guy's. <laughs> you were... I heard you laughing, man. No, I I promise you, I wasn't laughing, bro. I promise. <laughs> I was chilling there. I was like, bro, this guy's this guy's feeling it, man. And watching the video, the tape back, you see it, eh? You see, yeah, yeah right in the moment. This guy's going to be out for Sunday league for, for a bit here. It's sad days, man. We just got fired up for it. All right. Oh, all right. See you guys next week. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the conference finals. Hopefully we got a long one. And uh, from John Lucas, we're out. Talk soon. Peace. Peace.